He said, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey y'all, how's it going out there in Profane Faith Podcast Land? Profane Faithers, how you doing? This is your boy, Dan White Hodge. Another week, another episode. Another week of engagement. Um, man, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, it's interesting here in season three. Um, been getting some good uh, emails and some feedback from folks. Uh, the last couple weeks have been exciting to have conversations around, whether it be the Jesse Smullett or whether it be colonization or whether it be just, you know, different in ra- different environments around and with, and with engagement uh, with race and whatnot. And so... Um, yeah, it's it's you know it's it, these are these are great conversations. I think I think these these are the type of conversations I had in mind when I I wanted to you know get this podcast going. And it's just great to uh, to, to see that um, see that happening. So at any rate, this week, man, so much going on. There's always stuff going on, right? I mean, this the in this era, I find we find ourselves in. I think um, it's uh, it's very it's a it's it feels like there is there's it's like every week there's well it doesn't feel there is every week every something new and you know and i'm trying to think back like okay 20 years ago when i wasn't as connected with like politics and the social environment and whatnot i mean i know there was stuff happening right reading history books and seeing videos and stuff it's like man there was stuff going on during clinton's era it didn't necessarily feel as in your face as it does now and maybe that's just because of social media it's part of what i'm trying to weigh out and uh and and work through one of the classes i'm going to be offering in the fall is a course on family friends um and social media and you know particularly in the social media era um and as i'm doing some of the prep reading for that and for those of you who emailed me and direct messaged me for resources thank you so much i'm i am getting a whole new education and you know what you know what does it mean to be an activist in um middle eastern culture uh but also being lgbtq right uh how does that affect the family how does that take affect how you engage around life and around with just your own um you know body presence and whatnot and and, and and still keeping your faith intact i mean so these are some of the things that i'm trying to figure out like okay what are the positives of social media what have they done what what has it done you know for the good and and also what are some of the things one of the challenges of it you know does it hyper sensitize folks to different things because it's a 24-hour news feed right um and i'm old enough to still remember you know when the news feed would shut off and really all you would get is a six o'clock um you know like it was the nightly news you would get that and then and that was national and then at 10 o'clock uh you would get your local news and that was more you know and then of course there was newspapers and all that and and growing up i saw some of those transitions i know my mom and my grandmother they obviously grew up in a different era where you know news came in print and it was in that environment so you know i'm trying to weigh all those things out um as i think about like you know is this really a a genuine area i mean it feels that way it feels like there's just always a you know this last week at least if you're listening to this in real time you know uh cohen uh trump's former lawyer you know just went in and was talking about all the stuff that's going on and you know it's always amazing to me that this guy is still in office um and that he's you know <laughs> he's doing this i mean and, and those of you listening you already know you know if obama or really anybody any uh, a senator or politician of color you know would, would have done even you know, just a, a smidgen of any of this uh they would be they would have been out for his head so i don't know it's it's it, you know it's, it's one of the things that i wrestle with one of the things i hold in tension is what is what does the future look like um especially the direction we're headed when you think about this week, uh, I read that NASA reported that, you know, a an iceberg the size of New York City um, broke off into the uh, into the ocean. And so, you know, what will global warming look like? What will climate change, you know, what would that bring to us? Um, 
Yeah, it's some it's some interesting things. I mean, there um, these are some things that I'm you know that I'm that I hold intention you know in regards to you know pressing forward and you know marching forward. I think in general, particularly you know white evangelicalism has created a sense of of hope, but a lot of that hope has been constructed. Uh, you know, oh, you know this we're marching, we're marching forward. And this week we were having a conversation around. Um, in class uh, around, you know, guy, well, really the hip hop Jesus. So I, I teach in a course right now on, on hip hop, race and rhetoric. It's on Thursday nights. And so, you know, if you're in the Chicago area, you know, hit a brother up, you know, you wanna, if you wanna come out and, and check the class out, we have some amazing conversations. It's a smaller class and most of these students have taken me for two or three other classes. So like the conversations are just, they're just, they're very rich. And so this week we were looking at the hip hop Jesus and, you know, looking at what that brings. And one of the things that came out was doubt. Like, you know, what, what is the, when you, th when you break away the, 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 you know, you press, push past the, the popular, more popular notions and uh, narratives around Jesus Christ, you begin to see, you know, there were other narratives of a messianic figure. Um, and one of the questions that came up was like, you know, to be a slave, to have been whipped, to have been in that environment, and then to be told there is a God and you're, you're, you know, God is coming and God's going to protect you, you know, it's it's interesting because I think our language would change in that in that type of situation, right? Because, you know, what is God protecting you from, right? What is what is what is God? Um, how you know how did God allow this? I mean, these are some of the things, right? These age-old questions that I think. You know, we have to hold intention when we say God bless you or, you know, I'm feeling blessed today. I mean, it's something that I'm reflecting on and thinking on um, because not everybody. Right. I mean, you, right now, even in the world, we still have slavery. I mean, you think about the owner of the 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 um, New England Patriots, right, Kraft. Um, and really what's getting him in hot trouble is because not because he went to a spa, you know, do a little prostitution stuff, but because these were trafficked women. Right. And these are these women, you know, being sold into slavery. I mean, this whole Right, this whole thing, man, it just it it just it, it is it it's bewildering sometimes. <laughs> it's bewildering. So those are some of the things that I've been thinking on and processing. Um like I said, I'm catching up on some reading. Um and like I said, getting ready for this class in the fall. And um yeah, it just it it does. It it uh, I know my daughter has some some great questions around the existence of God, and and, and quite honestly, I, I do too. And um, like, what does that existence look like? If, if at best God and Christ and, you know, faith around that is just something to feel good about. And if there is a higher intelligence, um, you know, maybe that intelligence just started stuff and then left and we've turned it into something that never was. Um, I don't know. Uh, but those are the things, right? Those are, those are the, those are the questions um, that just in my own faith journey um, that I'm that I'm asking and that I'm that I'm wrestling with, and I literally mean that wrestling with. Um, and those are questions I think that are important to faith development. I think far too many, particularly Christian churches, uh, uh, are, are still dealing with very simplistic approaches to who God is. So, for example, last week, I think, uh, well, I don't think I know, Dominique, uh, she was on talking about Jesse Smellett, and she's talking about how she came out, and then she made it, you know, very public. I didn't know that this was, like, the show, so, hey, you know, thank God. This is great stuff. I love it. Um, but then she posted to social media. So, you know, it's interesting just some of the comments that people give in regards to being by or being within the lgbtq community plus community and still wanting to be you know a part of the faith community who gets to decide who is in and who is out and i think that's those for me again those are some of the things that just stick out it's like man the amount of crap and hate and violence that have been done in the name of god um is is profoundly bewildering and just and and, and perplexing for me to think Wow, somebody, you know, because we talked about that, you know, back, you know, going back to class, we talked about that in class, you know, Christendom and and Constantine and just, you know, that people would launch out and go and, you know, basically say, you're going to believe in God or you're not going to believe in God. You know, we got a big sword, you know, holding it over your head. You got to you got to do it or not. Um, I, man, I, I, you know, I don't think that's the way. <laughs> I don't think that's that's the right way, you know, and and, and I get that people in power want to keep that power. Um, 
So I don't know. These are just some thoughts. These are some things that, I, that I'm thinking of, and I don't necessarily want to ramble. I want to get to my guest. I think it's a good segue uh, into my guest this week, who uh, is a teacher. She is a wife. Um, she is also a, a person who's processing faith and theology, I think, on a whole on a level i don't want to say a whole nother level but i I would definitely say on a level that is i think important for us to grow into a mature faithful person uh thinking theologically thinking deeply about theology um and so this uh this week is she was a long time listener and uh i was like she posted a few things and i was like i gotta get you on the show uh natasha akery uh or lady a as she is i think is her handle on on twitter uh high school teacher wife mother and uh two of of two fierce little ladies uh she is a co-host for teach learn repeat an upcoming podcast from teacher to teacher that will focus on equity in public schools in season one and um obviously i'll post all of these uh, show notes in or well, i'll post these links in the show notes uh she did just put out a video um about her she's being really open about her being a teacher and working with um you know particularly african-american kids and you know what that meant and what particularly when we think about racism in higher education not in higher education but education in general when we think about that um you know, there's some things in there. There's some things, and she just comes right out and names it and is vulnerable. Um, so I'm going to post a link to that video. You got to check that out. That's in the in the show notes. Again, whitehodgepodcast.com. If you haven't been there, that's where all the show notes are and other goodies. So you can go and check that out there. Um, but Natasha a, came on, and we recorded actually two different um, times. And uh, the second time, we were like, oh, man, this is, this is really good. So um, I was just really thankful to have her on. Uh, and again, part of the show show is to have a wide array of folks on the show and if you're listening you already know for those particularly those faithful listeners uh that you know subscribe every week you already know you know the voices that we bring on are just it's 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 a vast array right different array of folks uh speaking into what what faith looks like from their perspective or doesn't look like from their perspective um stay tuned because next week i'm going to be talking with author perry marshall um who wrote the book evolution 2.0 breaking the deadlock between darwin and design Woo! that's gonna be good that's gonna be good we had an amazing conversation so that's for next week so stay tuned y'all this is we coming we about to hit it so here's a conversation natasha and i had um again a great just great mind of thinking through things from a broader uh, perspective and really holding things in tension. That's what I think is really important about, you know, faith journeying and, and, and developing. So without any further ado, here's Natasha and I talking about it. Let's do this. All right. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for taking the time out your busy schedule uh, to come on to Profane Faith. Hey, I love being here. This is the place where I want to be podcast wise. So <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Well, uh, it was great to get to know you via online. I believe that's where we first met. Yes, sir. And I don't even think we've met yet physically yet. We'll have Mm-mm. to one of these days, one of these days. Um, but as you know, the show uh, asks basically one question, then we'll get going with that. I'd love to know. And for those listening, I'd love to know. I know a little bit about your background, but you know what's happened from birth to now birth to now man every time i hear you ask people that question like this loaded thing just letting people loose into the wild but yes um birth to now is a long convoluted story but if i if i can kind of compartmentalize it a little bit i got you uh well, I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Okay. Um, my dad, he's uh, white, he's American, and my mom, he met her over in South Korea when he was stationed there, and uh, he was in the Army. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm half Korean, half white, and um, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the evangelical, non-denominational churches want to be mega churches kind of thing. Mm. So, uh, growing up in that was, was interesting because it was like purity culture, straight edge, uh, you know, kiss dating goodbye. That was kind of the, 
the realm that I grew up in after I got baptized. Um, <laughs> All right. I was 13. Yeah. So it, it was tough because that purity culture stuff will mess you up. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, it was like, if you're going to date somebody, you better be dating them to marry them. So every time I was interested in a dude, I'm like, here's my husband. And <laughs> I, I, I mean, some guys kind of get scared off by that. I'm just saying. <laughs> but then the guys who are fine with it, they're kind of creepy. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too. I'll say this, and I won't, won't let you continue, but that whole dating, I kiss dating goodbye, that guy is actually the author. I forget his name, but he's actually renounced his own book now and, like, you know, is having, trying to have conversations about how to right the wrong. I mean, I don't know how much he's changed, but at least he's come out and said it was like, yeah, that was, that was pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a documentary, I think, coming out pretty soon about purity culture as well, kind of interviews with folks. But, um, yeah, it was uh, my husband, he grew up in it, too. He grew up evangelical. And it's it's so interesting because that purity culture, it teaches you so much shame about just, you know, Mm. being a sexual being. And so even after we were married, we had to relearn that sex is not evil, like sex is not bad, because it was just pounded into us for so long. You shouldn't have these urges. You shouldn't have these desires. They're right. wrong. And so like just just us being married in the actual like proper context, we couldn't just comfortably access that part of our intimacy. And so it's been, it's been years and years in the making as far as like just kind of getting out of that mindset of sex being evil. Um, so so for those folks out there who grew up in that, I mean, I feel you. But there, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. There, there's, there's therapy out there. There's books. There's people on Twitter who want to talk about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was really, really big into a youth group and you know converting people and uh, you know walking around my high school with my my teen study Bible under my arm and asking people if they'd accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, so yeah, it was, I was serious. I was real serious. I was in it deep going on mission trips and whatnot. And yeah, that didn't change until college and college. I went to the college of Charleston and I, I majored in religious studies. And then, and then when I, that just opened, opened up this whole world that I knew nothing about. So I went into religious studies thinking, you know, I'm going to learn about Christianity and more about the Bible, and um, my faith is going to be even more firm. No, like, everything went out the window with religious studies. Just like, yeah, everything went out the window. And and honestly, being mixed, being multi-ethnic, that didn't really impact my faith until college um, because that was when I found out about my mom's heritage as far as kind of some religious influences that were in her life. Okay. Um, I took this one course on shamanism with uh, Dr. Lee Irwin and he, there was a short segment about these uh, Korean women shamans and they're called Murang. And I was like, wait, this is interesting. I've never heard of this before. Let me talk to my mom about it. And so I call my mom up and I'm telling her about these mudong, like, but like talking to her about it, like, like maybe she doesn't know anything about this. This is something cool that I learned about, you know, Korea. And it made me feel, made me feel good about my heritage. It was interesting. And her first question when I caught a breath was, who told you this? (laughs) <laughs> like, like, like I'd, I'd stumbled upon like some secret dossier that like, <laughs> like in the corner of her closet and I'm like, um, I'm learning about it in school. And mm. so just realized that it wasn't just a thing from her country. It was a thing from her life. Um, hmm. and so, so talking to her about that, I ended up doing an interview with her for a paper that I did. Um, later on. But, um, so learning about her past and how growing up she had these, these symptoms and with the mudang, like, you know, somebody is being called, like they're kind of being summoned by the spirits to become Mm -hmm. these shamans. Yeah. 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 When they experience, experience spirit sickness. And so my mom was 
having those symptoms and they can manifest manifest in different ways. It's very, very common with adolescent girls um, in South Korea who, you know, quote unquote, are being called to this kind of priesthood in a way. And it can be like, you know, fainting spells, hearing voices, uh, seeing kind of like uh, impressions or see, seeing spirits. Uh, blood pressure can be part of it. I mean, there, there's wow. just a lot of, lot of different things that can kind of manifest as, as spirit sickness. But when she was telling me this, it was just so weird hearing about it because I was like, you don't remember me having all this when I was growing up? Like, it, it was starting to kind of like bring flashbacks to me of, wait, like this was happening to me when I was a teenager. So that tripped me up because growing up evangelical, growing <laughs> up that this is it, this is the only thing there is. Yeah. And then hearing about this other heritage, this other kind of religious tradition and this is also equally true and part of my experience, my personal experience. Yeah, it uh, it shook me up. It shook up my whole worldview. Man, well, okay. So let me let me let me back the the, the train up a little bit here because this is yeah. this is fascinating, and particularly as I've been having conversations with a lot of people of color and um, who are into their ancestry and, and reclaiming some of those faith traditions that didn't fall under, right? The the colonizer's mind and, and imagination, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, and I think this is this is deep, right? I mean, I think spiritualism goes so much deeper than what we've been told and what we've been shown, right? Yes. Um so I'd be curious about that. I also curious I wanted to hop back to the purity culture and see how that affected you growing up. How did that affect you, you know, going into college because I know that that whole mindset is in just from research and, and from folks, I mean, it just, it has, it has plagued a lot of, particularly women. There's men in there that are involved in it, but, but particularly women um, and how they should behave, how they should look, how they should dress, how they should talk. And then ultimately, even when you get married, you know, how to basically how to have sex and really. Yeah. So I'd be curious if you don't mind sharing to talk a little bit about that and then talk a little bit about this reclaiming spirituality. I know that's two questions, two prong, but. No, that's all right. You, I can you, do you're it. going in. I'm set. I'm set. So with the purity culture thing, um, that that's kind of a mixed bag because I was in a relationship that should not have been at the time. So okay. I was, uh, I, w- I had an online boyfriend who I met in a chat room because, uh, unfortunately I was into online role playing back then. Um, well, I don't want to, I don't want to insult anyone who, who still does that. I'm sure they're, very reputable online role players out there. But uh, I I was deep into that starting when I was like 12 or 13. And so I started talking to this guy five years older than me. So when I was 13, he was 18. And okay. this dude led me to Christ. But, and like, I, I got baptized because of him, you know, quote unquote, ministering to me. But then also like, because of this relationship and what he was teaching me about who God is, him also saying, well, in God's eyes, we're already married. So I'm learning at youth group and at church about, you know, being pure and saving yourself for marriage. But this dude over here is saying, well, you don't have to worry about that because we're already married to God. Like, even though we're not married, married, mm. God thinks we're married. So it was real hard for me because. I honestly, because this man was telling me this, I honestly thought, oh, so I can, I can be sexual because God's okay with this. But it, it was still something I wrestled with just as the years went on. Cause we were, we were together five years. I didn't break up with the dude until freshman year of college. And, um, and yeah, so it's tough because like all my friends who are, you know, knee deep in purity culture like I am, they are saving themselves. You know, they are like, I'm not, I'm not going to date. I'm waiting until I get married. Like they're straight edge, this, that, or the other. And, uh, and then me over here, I can't like really connect with them because kind of this inappropriate stuff is happening with this dude that I'm dating. Um, and things didn't really come to a head until 
until I, I went to college, until that freshman year. And dude, he moved. Like this dude lived on the other side of the country and he moved from there to South Carolina. When I say the other side of the country, I'm like, my my man was on the opposite coast. Wow. And and like, you know, in his own not very healthy way, he he was in love with me and he picked packed up everything. He moved um across the country to be with me. And uh I just I started college and then I was going through panic attacks. I started developing these really, really intense panic attacks. And I wasn't making mm. the correlation that I was having them like when we were together. I was having them when he'd want to do stuff that I was I wasn't really wanting to do, but like, oh, he's my husband in God's eyes. I need to do this stuff for him. Wow. It, yeah. So it it was it got real heavy for me. And so um yeah, it just came to a head there like uh yeah, it's, stuff happened with this dude. And, you know, uh, after that, I was like, this shouldn't have happened. Like, I shouldn't have had this experience. I shouldn't have been with this man since I was 13 years old. Um, and, you know, like 18's young. Dude was 18 when we first started talking. But it's also still like, like, your friends know about this. And they're not doing nothing. But then I also had people in my life that weren't doing anything. People mm. at church knew about this. Okay. They weren't shutting it down. Um, my my parents knew about it. They weren't shutting it down. And they were kind of putting the blame on me. Well, if we intervene, you'll run away. And like like just putting it all on me. Um, and anyway, so I finally realized, like, I remember we were driving he was driving, I was in the passenger seat, and I, I was just having this full-blown panic attack. I didn't know that's what it was at the time. Mm. But I'm and I'm like having this kind of dissociative moment where I'm just like starting to just check out. Like I, I can't even wow. think and I'm getting to this really depressed state where all I'm thinking about is, Jesus, will you please kill me now? Cause I need to be with you. I really need out of this situation and I don't know how to get out of it. Um and there was this trippy moment. It was right before I broke up with him. Uh, dude was into cemeteries. Like, there were so many red flags, but nobody taught me what red flags looked like, man. Like, <laughs> where were my friends? <laughs> where where were the responsible adults? But dude likes cemeteries, so we're at a cemetery. And wow. whether or not it was God, I mean, at the time, I was fully convinced it was the Holy Spirit. But I was, I was praying him uh, just silently in my head. I said... I'm going to go insane, dude. Like, God, I, I'm losing my mind. Like, I feel myself totally losing my mind right now, being with this guy and just this, this season of life I'm in. And I felt, I felt like God was saying to me, um, well, you have two choices. You can either go crazy or you can push through and I'll help you. And I literally told God, <laughs> I said, can I think about that and get back to you? Because <laughs> it, it it honestly seems like it'd be easier to just lose my mind. Um, but yeah, I finally was like, yeah, I need help. I need, I need your help. Give me, give me the power to do what I need to do. And so, I broke up with dude, and um, and uh, apparently I broke up with him right before he was about to propose to me, which I found out later. Oh, wow. So. I pro who knows I may have said yes and that would have been the end of the story and we wouldn't be having this uh, conversation right now cuz I'd be like in a ditch somewhere but uh yeah <laughs> oh, <my goodness>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean I don't know but or like have eight kids I don't know but um yeah I, I broke up with him and the thing is even though it was good I got out of that relationship I was still kind of so dysfunctional in myself that it just kind of sent me on this rabbit hole of like really toxic experiences because the only love that I knew was toxic. Mm. And so looking for love, all the signs that, that seemed like they would be love were based only on that experience with this person for five years. Um, and the little bit that I got, you know, from my parents, but my parents weren't equipped very well to, to be the parents that I think they they wish they could have been. And so, yeah, I was just, I was having too many not so great experiences, kind of like going around from dude to dude and uh, 
I mean, having some serious relationships too, but just kind of getting into this cycle of unhealthy, toxic relationships and honestly, like victimizing myself, like not knowing that I was not conscious of it, but that's what was going on. So purity culture went out the window. Um, like I just went to the opposite end of the spectrum and, uh, yeah. So, but then my husband, when we met and then, you know, dated for a long time and got married, you know, it kind of all that came back because he, he was going to church. Um, he was into his faith and I, I'd been out of it for a while, but he kind of brought me back into it. I went to church with him. And so that purity mindset kind of like didn't skip a beat. It just, mm. it came right back. Yeah. And so, um, you know, like we, we were, we were, uh, we were intimate before we got married and that I remember the level of guilt that we were experiencing from mm. that. Just, I mean, such a heavy, yeah, plaguing, depressing guilt, like, like debilitating and, and like all this self hate that we had for ourselves because we're so sinful and we're not doing the right thing. Um, and, but then, you know, it didn't change even after saying I do it, it still stayed. Mm. What man, <laughs> that's some, yeah. How, I mean, I mean, and how, I mean, how did you, I mean, how did y'all deal? I mean, with, you know, some of this stuff and, and, and whatnot, were you able to tap into a different, uh, ideological structure around that? Or, I mean, how did that, you know, how did, how did you move forward with that? I wish I could give you like you know, a PowerPoint slide with like, here are the five steps. <laughs> yeah. But it was just trial and error. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it took years and it, it also took me going to therapy just for my own stuff because, you know, I had to work through, uh, I had to work through some trauma obviously with, yeah. with dude from when I was in high school. And then, um, I had some other trauma that I needed to work through and just kind of restructuring um, some scripts that were going on in my head, so that that helped. Just going to therapy, just me dealing with me, that that helped a lot. But it was really just trial and error. It was like a lot of really hard conversations, and um, and having kids too. For some reason, reason having kids, like after we had our firstborn, Eleanor, mm -hmm. um, it it kind of shook us a little bit, like well, what do we want this girl to know? What do we want this girl to believe? What do we, what are we passing on to her as far as like what our belief system is? Cause we, we weren't sure we'd kind of left the whole evangelical thing. It just, it wasn't our cup of tea. We'd been burned by our church community. So we, we were kind of just like out in the middle of the water, not, not really knowing what direction we were headed in, hmm. but having her, I think started moving us in a direction of trying to figure things out and not wanting her to ever feel that kind of shame, not wanting her to feel that shame of, I mean, to be completely honest, the shame of like masturbation, like, mm -hmm. like that's so heavy on, I think it's, I think it's more on males than it is on females only because like, for some reason, everybody thinks females are just like chased and like, you know, like they don't do anything. They don't, they don't have feelings. They don't have sexual feelings, <laughs> right, right. but, but it's, it's real, it's real heavy on dudes. And, um, and I just remember like, you know, when she came into our lives, just thinking, I don't want her, I don't want her to feel that kind of, kind of shame. And so this restructuring of our minds, just because we were parents now, like, what do we want? What feelings do we want our daughter to have? Um, and now we got two. So uh, double whammy, we, we really got to not necessarily have all the answers, but we definitely don't want our girls to grow up feeling that heaviness of like, my body is bad. My body is sinful. Um, yeah. These urges that I have aren't holy. Like we we just weren't okay with that. So I think knowing that we want, we didn't want those things for them. We were able to restructure some of that circuitry in our marriage. Mm. That's deep. I mean, cause I know as my own daughter, I've tried to move away from a lot of that guilt and mm -hmm. shame that comes around. I mean, I think, and I tell my students this all the time, right? It's like, you know, in the West, we, 
have not done a good job at all, a healthy job at all dealing with sexuality, sexual mm-hmm. identity, um, what that means, you know, how do you, you know, and I think it's lost so much is lost and particularly in seminary, right? We fill our heads, but we, do, we don't do anything with our bodies and not necessarily mm-hmm. even in a sexual way, but just knowing our bodies and, and, and loving our bodies in a way um, that is, that is rooted and still connected to, to the spirit world, to the, to the earth itself. Mm-hmm. I know some of my, my, my native American friends, you know, who are just like, man, you know, even if you just take your shoes off and just stand on the ground, like, you know, that yes. connection, um, with the earth. So yeah, that's, that's some heavy stuff. And then you talked about some of this, this, this spirituality, this shaman stuff. How is that? And I mean, cause I'm also curious, like, you know, what, you know, when people hear evangelicalism, I mean, and people think that's the only way to, you know, engage with Christianity. I mean, what, how do, how do all those things mix in, mix out in that realm for you? Yeah. Um, so when I started dialoguing with my mom about, uh, about Korean shamanism and her experiences, so I, it really just changed my, my worldview. Cause I was like, okay, there are so many ways that people all over the world have experienced, you know, spirituality, have experienced the divine, have experienced, you know, a different plane. And so it was, it was kind of conflicting for me, you know, growing up evangelical, uh, I had a hard time, uh, putting the two together, but, but honestly, what, what kind of helped me, um, was the Bible. Cause there were certain things, there were like these hints being dropped throughout scripture that was like, this isn't, this isn't the only thing. And, you know, even though the, even though at least as far as the new Testament is concerned, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Like what the message is, you know, Jesus Christ, Lord and savior, he died for your sin. There's still these hints throughout the Bible. That's like, however, people have lots of different experiences. Mm. Um, for, for example, um, like the Philistines. So back in the Old Testament, Philistines, they hear of God, like, we've heard about your God. We've heard about what your God does. So like the, the Philistines, this other, this other nation recognizing the God of the Jews. And then um, also, you know, Paul, when he, uh, when he goes to Mars Hill, um, the apostle Paul in Acts, and he, he goes to the altar of the unknown God and like recognizing, yes, you have been interacting with the divine. And he does, you know, go kind of on his, uh, his spiel of who that God is. And this is who you've been worshiping, even though you didn't realize it, but still the, the fact that he was recognizing y'all are having a real spiritual experience and I'm going to help you, uh, give it some terminology. Mm. And then, um, you see, I, I, here's the thing. I don't like Paul, like not one bit. I don't, I, I don't, uh, but I hear you. I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I, I am. Yes. Yeah. But I recognize that when you look at his letters chronologically, the man changes in Romans, like he's been through some stuff. He's in prison. He's about to die. And I think he has a moment because it's in Romans where he says, if people haven't heard the word, if they haven't heard the gospel, they're going to be judged according to the law written on their hearts. And when I read that, I was like, wait, hold up. What? Because my man didn't say that those people are going to be judged and then like they're going to hell or they're not going to be in heaven with everybody. Like he said, if they haven't heard the gospel, if they haven't heard the truth, they're going to be judged according to the law written on their hearts. Mm. So, so that helped me. And also, my favorite part of the Christmas story, if you must know, are the Magi. Um, yeah. Because they're astrologers, man. These yes. are astrologers, Persian astrologers. And they're like, wait up. Hold on. You see these stars? Okay, we got to go see this dude. Uh, there's, there's a Messiah. We got to go see this, this king. And so... God's doing things in other narratives. You know what I mean? Like we, as Christians, we have this kind of one meta narrative, right. but then I don't know. It's, it's just amazing to me that in, in our own scripture, there's hints 
of there are real authentic spiritual experiences happening outside this narrative that we are used to, that we are comfortable with. So all of that helped me kind of reconcile with my heritage because, I mean, it's very common, but what happened to me was I like I was encouraged to renounce those parts of me. I was encouraged oh, yeah. to... Re- yeah, to renounce my Korean heritage, to renounce um, some of my Native American heritage from my dad's side, and and it it rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't have the vocabulary for it at the time, but I was just like, "Why though? I mean, like, why can't I honor God through my heritage? Like, why can't I interact with God through?" through these things that my mother experienced, through these things that my father experienced, why do I have to renounce them? And, and so I, I kind of just backed up a little bit. I was like, no, I'm not going to renounce anymore. So it's only now that I have the terminology and the, and the awareness Mm. of, you know, Christian Christianity colonizing the nations, you know? So like when when I was able to talk to my mom about this shamanic heritage mm-hmm. and hear about her having the spirit sickness and she was called to be this, this shaman, but she turned it down. And this, uh, another shaman telling her who I think was from what I understand was going to take her on basically as an apprentice if she accepted, but telling her like, since you've turned this down, the spirits are going to stay with you and they're going to visit your children. And then hearing that and remembering all these moments as a teenager where I'm like hearing spirits, hearing voices, seeing things that other people can't see, having those fainting spells, Mm -hmm. having dreams, and knowing things sometimes about people that I don't know why I knew them. And and so it, it, it explained a part of my life that evangelical Christianity could not. It could not go that far with me. It could. It couldn't go that deep. So, um, I mean, there's. I. You can't make it look pretty. I just. I just accepted it. That's. That's part of who I am. That's yeah. part of my heritage. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, so this is. I mean, this is beautiful because, like I said, I mean, this ties into. I mean, and again, for me, I mean, it's been about a journey of you know decolonizing my own theo- mm-hmm. theological imagination and. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough, right? Because it's like, yes, I, I, in fact, I was just talking about this last night in my my hip hop and rhetoric course. Um, it's, it's a nice small class. Everybody's engaged. It's all former students of mine, and you know we were you know we're, the subject last night was you know looking at evil and you know and so um, what constitutes evil um, and how is that socially constructed? How have we been told, and especially as Black folk, right? We've been told that anything that resembles a triangle or a star or something like that, you know, is demonic and it's from Mm. the devil. And it's like, you can't, you know, be associated with that. But, you know, if you scratch the surface just a little bit, you know, our ancestors, you know, that was, that was part of it. It's in the Christian heritage, you know, to use different forms of triangles, to use different forms of eyes, you know, and, and, you know, third eyes and all that stuff. And so, but again, we've just grown so accustomed to, just believing this and this is the, this is it and I don't ever want to you know it's like we're just got a grown accustomed to eating Campbell's chicken noodle soup mm-hmm. and somebody over here saying no but look you can make that stuff fresh you can make it whole and you're like Mm-mm, no no Campbell's <laughs> chicken noodle is the only way we can do it so I, I Campbell's is good though oh it's so. good you know I got spice in there. I got to put some Cajun and you know spices in there and stuff but this is beautiful I, I love that and and well let me ask this then as you're because this is this is rich. How has it been then being biethnic um, and and walking that line? So, something that I was thinking about when you brought up kind of like in Black culture things that you're supposed to kind of shy away from because uh, of their associations. So I think being biethnic and specifically being half Korean, it really influences just how I view. Uh, things in general. So cosmic duality is something that just doesn't sit with me because it it's it just is not 
it's not accurate to my experience. And mm-hmm. I think also it's just not accurate to Eastern mindset, like this, this duality of good and evil, you know, in, in Eastern thought, it's, it's not so much like cosmic forces, like fighting each other. It's just more like there are different types of forces and they balance each other out. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, one of my favorite examples is with Hinduism and like the Trimurti and there's, uh, the destroyer and the sustainer and the creator as far as, uh, Shiva, I think Krishna and Brahma, I think. But, um, so, so it's like what, what Christianity and kind of Western thought deems as evil. I think Eastern thought is a little more like, well, there's a time, like it's very Ecclesiastes, like there's a time for this and there's a time for that. There's a time for things to get killed and there's a things, uh, the time for things to get born. And so, um, yeah, like, and then, so when the devil comes into play and yeah. evil, that's another thing too. I'm just like, well, I mean, like literally when you look at the scriptures, the devil just ain't that important. He doesn't get important until Paul go goes off on his like in his letters. So I I don't know. I think I think having having that eastern half, that eastern influence really kind of affects how much I can I guess tolerate as far as western Christian theology. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's um that's the real deal. That's the real deal. How is that for example, just in your own your current faith life and and whatnot. I mean, how is how is that affected? I mean, what are you know? Do you get the we got to bring you back into the fold? Talk you get tracks handed to you. How to how, <laughs> how does that break down for you? Um, you know, for you and your family now. Well, um, you know, for a time we were kind of like church shopping, and yeah. because all all we knew was the evangelical kind of. Uh, mega church setup. That's kind of the stuff that we were looking for, and we just ended up trying out. But um, just stuff. I would always just end up butting heads with with some you know white man in a position of spiritual authority. That just that I couldn't go any place without ending up doing that at some point or another, and then just having to kind of like walk myself out because I'm like, all right, I'm I'm done with this, like. I, I don't know what it is about uh, white pastors and, or at least white evangelical pastors and their obsession with talking about sex like every other Sunday. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, yeah. why, why are y'all talking about sex so much, Brad? Like, I'm. <laughs> they don't understand that you very well have people in your congregation who have PTSD, who are survivors of some sort of assault or uh, child sexual abuse, like, and you're just up there being like, sex is good, and God wants you to have, like, a healthy sexual uh, relationship with your spouse, only with your spouse, and you can't have these thoughts, but we do want to talk about good sex. And I'm just like, y'all are triggering. You don't even know. Right. You're triggering people out here, and the lights are off. What is the Mega churches, they're like, let's turn these lights off. You want to talk about this man I don't know very well wants to talk to me about sex in the dark? That's mm. triggering, sir. It's triggering. So I've tr- I've tried to have those conversations with with some pastors where it's just like, yo, first of all, be trauma informed. And they're like, well, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, you're not hearing me. Fine. And then also, the Bible itself is triggering. Like you got to give people a heads up. Like there's there's some stuff in here that is yeah. heart heart wrenching and terrible and might remind you of something that happened to you or someone that you love um yeah so anyway so we shopped for a while and mm-hmm. then we we ended up in this church where i went to preschool um and it's a a pcusa and uh we started going and i was waiting for the pastor to preach about sex. I was just waiting, but it never happened. We've been there over three years. It still hasn't happened. My man still has not preached about sex or, and turned off the lights. So I'm just like, okay, we're in a safe place, <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but it's been, it's been a good place because, uh, I rem- I remember feeling like 
okay, maybe I've been Presbyterian this whole time and I just didn't know it. Like maybe I didn't know these were my people because I went to this women's Bible study. It was like a Bible 101 thing. I'm like, I'll get to know some people and, you know, talk about the Bible. It'll be fun. And uh, the conversation we were talking about, uh, the serpent in the garden, and somebody said, I mean, do y'all really believe that the snake talked? And when she said that, like, my my heart like almost came out my chest because I was like, someone's going to hurt her now. <laughs> like so, mm-hmm. someone's going to cast her out of this group and I'm never going to see her again. She seemed real nice. So I'm like gripping the, the, the armrest because I'm like ready for someone to just lay into her. But then somebody else says, and Jonah and the whale, I mean, really? Like that has to be just like a fable. And so I was like, oh no, she's going to get it. Like someone's going to kick her out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just waiting for the punishment to, to happen and the, and it didn't come. And I was like, wait, hold up. These women think about things and they're allowed to. So I immediately knew like, okay, I might be in a safe place because we're allowed to doubt and we're allowed to question. And no one's like, well, you're not saved anymore. You must not really believe in Jesus Christ. You got to get out of here. So yeah, we've been there ever since and um and it's it's been good. It's been a good fit. It's it is a very very white congregation. There's okay. only there's I don't even know if I can say there's a handful of people of color. I mean, just barely so. Uh we I think we have two families and um and our church recognizes that and but I think our church doesn't know how to address it quite yet. Like how how do we how do we interact with the rest of the world and how do we not be cuz it's it's not just a white congregation it's a white pretty wealthy congregation okay um and and so like for example me teaching at a title 1 school people say oh those poor children they're so lucky to have you i'm like what do you mean poor children they're mm. good like there's a this immediate like sympathetic condescension um, which I don't think they realize is problematic. Like you are automatically making a judgment and an assumption like these poor kids. And, and honestly, what they're not saying is these poor black kids, these poor kids of color that you are, you're sacrificing yourself. You're like sacrificing your comfort to go be with and teach every day. Right. And they would never say it in those words, but that is what essentially is in, in the subtext. And so that we've, my church is not perfect. It's safe for us, um, but it's not perfect. And so I've kind of been trying to introduce some dialogue as far as, uh, concerns about social justice, um, reaching out to, uh, the mosques that are in our community and having a relationship with them. Uh, we have a relationship with a synagogue, but, uh, our our sermons, unfortunately, are still somewhat anti-Semitic. I don't even think people would would know for sure that they were, just because, in general, evangelical Christianity, but just Christianity in general, there's anti-Semitism there, mm-hmm. and it's it's just so present that no one's even conscious of it. So I'm I'm kind of trying to like put put a little bit in there in the conversations that I have with folks at my church, just to bring that kind of awareness, start that dialogue. Yeah. What well, man, 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 man. Well, I mean, and I know that's part of how we feel about the, my wife and I with, with the current church we're at as well. I mean, they're definitely, you know, progressive and they're, you know, ordaining of LGBTQ plus folks and that's great. But I think, you know, what's the next level of that, mm-hmm. right? You know, what's, what does that look like? And I don't think really anybody has the, the the model i think most of us have come out of evangelical spaces and we've been tainted by that model um and yet like i said before it is difficult to pull away from what is common and what is known and and Mm -hmm. what is is comfortable i just had a um a group uh, cancel on me. They wanted me to come out, and and I knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Somebody just hadn't done their research, and I'm and I'm thankful that they did, um, because I've been to plenty of organizations that didn't do their research, and they show up mm. and they're like, "Whoa, who is this guy?" And he, oh yeah. my goodness, you know what I'm saying? It's just it's just crazy. But I get it. You know, it was like we want to preserve the same the sameness, right? And mm-hmm. 
Oh man. Um, so I mean, speaking of daughters and, 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 and raising and stuff, you're a teacher and you're engaged with all that. What's, uh, what's that like with where you're, where you're at and, and why teaching of, of all things, I figured you'd go on to get a PhD and, and write some books and be a theologian. I thought that was going to happen too, but then my husband proposed to me, so that just kind of sent everything off the wayside. I was I was fully intending on going to seminary. Yeah, he, propo- he proposed to me, but then also, you know, being in the evangelical realm, uh, I was told straight up, "You can't be a pastor." Oh boy! So that derailed me. I was like, "Wait, what?" And and so that hit me real hard, and I just. I didn't even question it when I was told you can't be a pastor. I just threw that dream out the window. Um, but fortunately over time, uh, and then also coming to this church, you know, PCUSA, obviously women can be, can be ministers. But, um, so the thing is though, I'm, I'm glad that I, I went on this path because I had a lot of growing to do and I needed certain experiences. I needed, I needed the hurts that happened as far as like, the push to get me out of kind of that, that damaging, at least for me, uh, evangelical realm to get into a church where I do feel safe, where I'm, I'm also valued. My thoughts are valued. Uh, my contributions to discussion are valued. Um, I teach high school age Sunday school and, um, yeah, it's funny because back in high school, I remember my youth minister at the time, him writing me this note and saying, I see you, uh, impacting thousands of people. Like he had this dream or this vision that I was going to impact thousands of people. So I thought I was supposed to be a youth minister way back then. Hmm. Um, but you know, life just happened and I had, I had these girls and I was, I was home. I wasn't working when I was staying with them. And there was just something stirring inside of me. Like I, I can't stay home anymore. I need to do something. So finally, when it kind of came to my mind, like, Oh, like, Maybe I should teach because I was a yoga instructor for about eight years. Okay. Um, so, so teaching kind of came naturally to me. Um, I, I was always really comfortable speaking in front of people. But anyway, so finally when I was telling my friends, hey, I, I, I think I want to teach, they were like, oh, finally, God, like <laughs> we, we've been waiting like this whole time for you to get that in your head. Like, and I was like, oh, uh, oh, okay. So, um. So started that process. Uh, I've kind of taken an alternative route since I already had my bachelor's degree, and um, I was able to raise the money through a GoFundMe in like three days. Wow. I, I was like, if I was like, if I can't do this in three weeks, then God's like, nah, don't you, you don't you don't need to do that. I kind of put that challenge on God. If I can't do this in three weeks, then we're gonna forget about it. And God was like, no, three days, girl. Um, so <laughs> a bunch of people just really supporting me. It was so encouraging to see how many people were like, yes, you need to be a teacher. Um, and I'm at, uh, I'm at a military school in North Charleston. It's okay. the only, it's the only school where I want to be. Um, and I teach ninth grade English and I, uh, I love them. And I would say, you know, I, I have there are influences right now. Like I'm, I'm really trying to be become more well-versed in restorative practices, um, in culturally, culturally relevant pedagogy. And, um, and yeah, I was trying to think like, is there, is my faith in my teaching? Um, like, because sometimes I'm, it almost feels like faith is compartmentalized. Like it's, it's kind of, it's a part of my life, but I don't know if it's really fully integrated into all aspects of my life sometimes. Okay. But um but I, I think I think it's there and I didn't really realize it until thinking about it um to talk to you because I I do see how Jesus kind of having this setup of I go and I meet a need, like a, a practical, tangible, physical need, like feeding people or healing someone from being sick. I meet that need, and then um, I teach this lesson that is at their level that makes sense to them, uh, depending on what what their background is. And then after that, when people come to me wanting more, then I make I make disciples and I have deeper relationships with them. So I do come into the classroom wanting to meet the need first of my students, and it varies. But the the overall theme of I think what my students need is being heard. They, they just want, 
their voice to be heard. They want their feelings to be acknowledged. They want their frustrations to be addressed. And, um, and so that's, that's what I try to do. I try to give them an empathetic ear and I also try to give them a platform and that, that may have ruffled a few feathers cause I, I had them put posters up in the hallway. What do you w- wish teachers knew about you? <laughs> and, and they went in, but they were respectful. I was like, the only rule I have is be respectful and don't name names. And they were so respectful. They were like, hmm. you know, don't call me out in front of people. Um, don't don't get in my face when when I'm tired or when I'm upset. Just because I have my head down doesn't mean I'm not paying attention. Uh, like just being real honest about things that they get chastised for on the daily, and just giving teachers a heads up. Hey, when this happens, this is actually what's going on inside of me. And it was so insightful, and and I think they loved having that opportunity to, to share their frustrations. Um, and I was able to kind of adjust some things in my practice because of that, that, um, project, but, um, yeah, so, so being culturally relevant, I mean, Jesus was doing, was doing that. And like in a real way, I mean, if Jesus is the son of God, like, and God incarnate, then that's like the ultimate form of culturally relevant pedagogy. If you become the people that you're reaching out to, <laughs> like hmm. he became a man who was a Jew and, you know, in- initially his mission was to the Jews to bring back the lost sheep of Israel. Like he, he didn't come initially for everybody. He came initially just for the Jews. And he expresses that to s- some woman who's like, Hey, help me with this. And he's like, nah, like I'm here for the Jews. Uh, but he said it like, crumbs from the table. They were, he was talking about crumbs off the table. And she's yeah. like, well, hey, dogs want those crumbs too. And and it wasn't until that moment that he kind of like shifted gears a little bit. And But that's what I'm saying. Like God became, like ultimately became the person that he wanted to love on and bring back to, you know, himself or God's yeah. self. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I... Yeah, it's it's in there. It's just like it's it's almost subconscious and that's another thing too in all my wanderings and like sometimes my frustrations of like I don't believe this, like I don't want anything to do with this and no matter what else I explore as far as religious traditions for some reason like I always come back to either you know the epistle of James or Ecclesiastes or the book of Proverbs. Like I just can't help myself. Like something always pulls me back toward at least those books um, when I'm feeling super Mm. lost. And that impacts how I treat my family, how I treat my students. Man, this is deep. I mean, this is, uh, Wow, I mean, this this needs to be somewhere in a book or something somewhere. Uh, this is, you need your own podcast. This is then I'll, I'll come on your show. I would love it. You can be the first guest. Oh, there we go. Shoot. <laughs> well, um, I'm, go ahead. What were you well, going to say? Before, because I, I feel like we're coming to a natural close. You, um, profane faith has been uh, a godsend for me mm. because uh, when I first started listening to you last summer, after uh, you interviewed me, he, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you you were interviewing one Asian woman after another, and I didn't know that there were other women uh, like in in the Christian tradition out there who you know looked like me, had similar traditions, had similar stories as me, mm. and so that that was such a blessing to me, and it really healed my heart. It really, it really showed me an aspect of my faith that I didn't know existed. I didn't know, I didn't know my women were out there. I didn't know they were there. So just want you to know you creating profane faith, like it has really nurtured me in ways that I can't even begin to explain. And then Mm. this being able to even talk to you about my experience, it's, it's such a blessing. So I, I can't even imagine how many other people your blessing as well. Mm, wow. That's, uh, well, that's humbling. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That, that means a lot. That means a lot. I think, you know, I know I'm in a particular season now trying to figure out. You get out, some heat, sir. You get some heat. I know you do. There's, there's definitely heat. There's definitely heat. So I appreciate it. I, I really do. That, that, that definitely means a lot. And 
honestly, it's one of the reasons why I started the podcast because I was like, I just, I, I want to have a little space. Um, mm-hmm. And I honestly, I didn't think I was like, I don't know who's gonna listen, but I'm just gonna put it out there. And mm-hmm. you know, I've been, I've been amazed um, at the amount of engagement. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, where can folks find you? They want to, you know, maybe they do. Maybe somebody has a, a GoFundMe page for you ready to set up for to do a doctorate and whatnot and bring you out and all that good stuff. Where can, good, can folks find you? Good gracious. Well, uh, tw- Twitter is my, my primary, uh, social media space. So at Lady Acre, Acre is like a bakery, but without the B. Um, <laughs> all right. so I, I hang out there. I don't have like deep thoughts on Twitter or anything. Uh, so if people are like, oh man, I want to like read her blog or I want to go to her website or no, I'm just like reposting memes and like, uh, sections from your book that I'm, I'm working through right now. So (laughs) don't, don't come looking for like deep, deep thoughts and, and spiritual truths. It's just me being silly and trying to learn something. (laughs) I heard that. I heard that. Well, I will, as always, put these uh, in the show notes. And Natasha, thank you so much for taking the time coming. And, you know, just really, man, you spilled everything. You spilled the beans. And thank you for sharing uh, with us. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Hey, you, let me get a minute of your time real quick. Y'all looking for a great speaker? You looking for somebody to work out issues with faith and race and intersectionality? Well, why don't you come check me out? Whitehodge.com. You can come check me out, get an inquiry, see some of the work that I've done. But here's the other part of it. I have a wife who is amazing as well. She's white. She is woke. (laughs) Right, as as the young people say, and we can come as a couple to consult, to talk, to help work out some of the kinks, particularly in faith-based settings, um, who are trying to move forward uh, in this milieu of interculturality that doesn't always seem to make sense. Now, don't get it twisted. Think of us as a hundred-proof, single-barrel aged whiskey. Uh, We'll go. We bring it. But if you're interested and you want to talk more, come to whitehodge.com, fill out the little form there on contact, send us an email, and we'd love to talk with you about that. I've also published a lot of books around race, faith, hip hop, gender. Check those out as well. Yeah. Fair pricing. We'll work with you uh, and your organization, but check us out, whitehodge.com. Thanks. I look forward to talking with you and seeing you.